to the book of Ephesians. We're going to continue our um, journey through this wonderful book. Um, uh, I've entitled today's message, More Than a Plan. Um, I hope that that becomes apparent somewhere during the somewhere during my talk. I, I was going to pull the... When I led something, there was a hymnal in here, but there's none in here now, so I'm going to use this. No, I have the words here. Who knew a notebook was so hard to work? All right, so there we go. Listen, we sang this. Uh, Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast, unmeasured. It's an interesting concept, isn't it? Think it's true? Unmeasured? Boundless free, rolling as a mighty ocean in the fullness over me. Underneath me, all around me, is the current of your love <clears throat> leading onward, leading homeward to thy glorious rest above. So we've <clears throat> got some interesting language in there. <clears throat> you actually hear language of the ancient divines, uh, I mean um, medieval language involved uh, in, in that, you, uh, you know, uh, some of the ancient um, doctrinal statements uh, and catechisms had language like this in them. The next verse, Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, spread his praise from shore to shore, how he loveth ever loveth, changeth never, nevermore. How he watches over his loved ones, died to call them all his own, how for them he intercedeth, watches over them from above, from the throne, excuse me. <clears throat> so, uh, I just wanted to, uh, you know, I don't choose these hymns. Malachi chooses them usually a few weeks in advance or a month ahead. And, and it's just interesting um, how the Lord works things out so that sometimes these things are um, divine coincidences as we talk about the goodness and graciousness of God. Now, as we ended last week, <clears throat> we talked about um, uh, I, I, my title was No Whim or Coincidence and it was talking about the purpose of God and how in Ephesians 1 that that purpose of God is revealed to us. Paul actually calls it a mystery. We'll read all this together here in just a second. But Paul actually calls that a mystery and we went down through some other scripture and we looked at some of the, some of the theological words there, adoption and, re, and redemption and forgiveness. So, uh, and then we concluded, uh, at least I concluded, by saying, do you believe this? Do you believe it? Um, and then I asked, has it touched your heart and life? I mean, if we actually believe something, <clears throat> it will change the way we act. Um, I got, I went out to my, well, even before I went out to my garage, I hit the button in my house so that my garage door would open. Now, you have to know my house, my old arrangement there. I do not have a man door in my garage. For years, I didn't have a working garage door. But now I have a nice electric one. It goes... Okay? Say, what what kind of hillbilly are you? You didn't have a, you know... So... uh, But if the power goes out, I can't get in my garage. You say, well, you got a lever in there. You go in there and pull the lever and it releases the door. But you got to be in there to do that. So if there's ever a power outage in Waterloo, come and watch me climb in a window because that's how I have to get in there to get my car out. And, And then I have to climb into the bed of the truck because if the truck's in there, I can't reach that handle that's up there over the truck. Um, 
I started this whole stupid story by saying, over the years, I have learned to believe that that switch works. And so I click that button and the garage door goes up. I, we do, some of you, most of you did the same thing this morning when you got up. You went over and you flipped the switch on the wall and turned on the lights. You went to the faucet and you turned it or flipped it or did whatever you did and water came out. And you have learned over a period of time that that thing works, that this is, now, there was, when I was growing up, uh, we had neighbors, and in their kitchen, they had a pump that was over the sink. We didn't have one. We had other weird things, but we didn't have a pump. We had, we had things that were slightly more modern. I mean, those people were in the uh, 19th century, and we were in the very beginning of the 20th century, okay? We almost had electricity and that kind of stuff. But when my parents were growing up, out in the country, they had a pump. And when electricity came along and pumps, electric pumps, they learned to adjust to that. And they built how they function around to that. You say, where are you going with all this? Right to that. When we actually believe something, really believe it, we test it and see that it works, it changes the way we function. If we don't believe it, we'll never try it. If we never try it, we'll never change. Folks who believe something get changed by it, especially if it's a new concept. So <clears throat> I asked the question, do you believe this stuff? Has it really touched your heart and life? And then, <clears throat> and then I concluded with the question, will the Almighty God fail? Is God's purpose going to be thwarted? Is an enemy going to thwart it? Is, the, is Satan or the devil going to thwart it? Can the, can the, the uh, manipulations of mankind thwart it. And I think probably intellectually we will all theologically say no. God's purposes can't be thwarted by man. They can't be thwarted by the devil because he's all powerful. He's, he's going to do... So we, we will assent to that or agree to that intellectually but oftentimes it doesn't touch our hearts. So... Let's continue kind of with this thought because we're moving through. I'm going to begin reading with verse 6. Some of this we covered last week. It says, To the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses or sins, according to the riches of his grace. We'll see that come up here in a, uh, again which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of times, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things in the earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now, there's a whole lot more there. There's more there that we can, we can uh, deal with today. But I wanted to try to hopefully put some of these smaller segments uh, into a larger context so you could see them. As Paul, once again, verses 3 through 14 are one sentence. It is the longest sentence in the Bible. And, uh, you know, if Paul was writing for a modern magazine, the editor would... Just pull his hair out, you know. Be sending an email to Paul. You got to fix this. 
No one can understand a, a, a no one can understand a sentence that long. So, and in our our modern English, it's broken up. But to Paul, it was all one one run together large concept. And I hope maybe we'll see how how big and large that is. So, look with me at verse ten. According to his purpose, which we talked about last week, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things in the earth. So he's, he's going to pull all things together in Jesus Christ. He's going to pull everything together. One, one commentator said, Man, and we'll kind of touch on this again as we move down through this. God was God originally made man, so that in man, God would be glorified, and man could show His image to the world. And sin destroyed that. You say, well, I shouldn't maybe have used the word world, so that man would reveal His image, because we're going to read on here that Paul says that that. There are creatures in heaven, probably things we can't even uh, comprehend, beings that we can't even comprehend are watching us as the mystery of God is revealed in us that he takes us broken sinners by his grace and, and redeems us and forgives us and empowers us by his spirit to glorify him. So when it talks about uniting all things uh, in him, it's talking about restoring that original purpose back so that through his created beings, he will be glorified and his image will be seen throughout all of creation. Better word than world, all of creation. So that's kind of the plan, but I want to talk to you about the word plan. And that's why I wrote the title of this, More Than a Plan. A plan is something you hope to, uh, I'll use the word exercise, or are executing, perhaps in a systematic way, maybe step by step. Okay, that's, that's a plan. How many have a plan for this afternoon? I do. It's going to a picnic. Okay, that's my plan. And we'll, we'll talk more about that in a minute. So, think of that like a journey. You, you start... You start in one place and you travel to the next place or the next step and then to the next, et cetera, et cetera. That's, now, that's, that's pretty simplistic, but that's kind of how plans go. But within that plan, there are sub-plans. So any of you who have ever taken a journey will know that's, that's the case. So if you're going on a journey, you may, you may need room reservations. You, you you may need stops between room reservations. And anybody who's been on any journey of any length, someone in the car has said, uh, uh, "Let's stop at the next uh, at the next rest restroom." Okay. <laughs> and of course, if you're a um, um, a driver who likes to tweak people, you pretend you didn't hear. You know, makes your drive makes your passengers very uncomfortable. So there there are sub plans in there. You you the other thing you look at is your fuel gauge. So you got to have fuel for your vehicle. Now we, we some of this stuff we don't even worry about much, do we? I mean, it's it's possible for us to get in our vehicle, drive till we're tired, probably find a hotel someplace, go in and stay there. And in that hotel, there's going to be a shower and there's probably going to be some food, even if it's nasty stuff that comes out of a machine. But usually, wherever there's a hotel along the highway, guess what there is across the street? Some other nasty place to eat, okay? We don't even have, we don't have to stop to think about that. Those who plan more, you know, they say, well, we're going to, today we're going to drive 4.6 hours, and that'll take us this many miles, and it's going to take us this long because we're going to stop here and here and here to use the restroom and get fuel, which will cause us to arrive at this particular city at this particular time in the evening where I've made a reservation for us. Okay. So if the wind's at your back and you get there early, you just can't check in. And that's all that works. But you, all of those are all of those are part of the part of the plans. Where will you eat? 
Um, or maybe you packed food. Okay, if you got kids, maybe you packed food. Maybe you got a cooler back there in the back. Now that brings us to another layer of planning, doesn't it? So if you've got a cooler in the back, hopefully you you thought ahead, you planned ahead when you probably the most previous time closest to that that you went shopping, you bought the food that you wanted to put in there. Or you bought stuff that you could prepare to put in there. And then if it's a cooler, you probably got what to put in it? Ice to put in it. So all of that was going to play. So maybe the last thing before you did, well, we got to stop and we got to get ice to put in the cooler so the kids can have their munchies on the way, okay? Or their drinks or whatever else. Now, how many are completely bored with this already? All right. <laughs> Here's another thing. If you're going on a trip, let's say you're going on a two-week vacation, how are you going to wash your clothes? Or are you going to wash your clothes? Or are you just going to throw them away because you know there's a Walmart over there and you're going to go buy some more? You know, you take them and you throw them in a dumpster and get some, get some new clothes. But if you've taken any... Now, I've had times where I've gone overseas and you, you had to... When you packed... I mean, I actually went and bought lightweight clothing and stuff that would pack stuff that I could wash in a hotel sink. I had to plan to do that. Um, <laughs> that's why I'm not doing that anymore. But anyway, uh, you had to make those plans. So, and, and all of that's interesting, isn't it? I mean, you, there's plans. So, what, so you, can see, you can see how this works as God's doing all this stuff and making all this stuff work. But, but let's take it. What makes all that possible? What, what's the bigger picture? You can't drive on your journey from point A to point B unless you have a road. Did you have anything to do with that road? Well, you probably paid for it with gas taxes. Okay, so you you did have something to do with it. Um, Did you put in the rest stops? No, you didn't. There's somebody else put those in. You just knew they were there. What about the restaurants? Unless, you know... Unless your name is Mr. Bell, and your first name's Taco, okay? You, you, you don't own those restaurants. You're going, somebody else put those there, and you're going there to eat. And, and, you, and you know, nowadays, what do we do? We pull out our phone. We say, because we our phone knows where we are because Big Brother is tracking us, Right? And we just put in restaurants near me, and up they pop. They all pop up. And now we're all set and ready to go. We can go find something to eat. But we didn't do them. We just found them. Same way with motels. So, well, that's interesting. So how'd that road get there? Well, that depends upon a paving company. You can't, you, you, you just can't go and go, poof, you're a road. You've you got to hire someone to build the road, and they've got to bring in equipment, and they've got to bring in graders, and they've got to put in drainage, and then, and then they've got to bring pavement that, you know, that chemical, whether it's cement or asphalt or whatever it is, they've got to put all that down. Guess what that requires? That requires someone to make that equipment. That requires the, the uh, uh, amalgamated paving workers of America, you know, their union. I just made that up, by the way. I don't know if there is one. If, if there is such a union, uh, please don't sue me. I, I didn't, I just made it up. All right? Are you guys all, are you guys all lost? All right, hang with me. Stay with me here. <laughs> you know what? You can't get gas unless there are refineries. And refineries are no good unless someone's sucking the oil out of the ground someplace. And right now in our economy, it isn't coming from the United States for the most part. It's coming from someplace else. It's coming over here on a ship. Ship's got crewmen on it. 
ship, ship left a great big port. And probably at the end where that port was, there was a big pipe or something that dumped the fuel into the ship that brought it to the refineries that send it to our gas station. This is turning into a little song here, isn't it? That went into our car that allowed us to take our trip to go to Taco Bell. When you get to the hotel, someone had to build that hotel. Someone had to staff that. And once again, I'll go back to this. If the United Housekeepers Union shuts down, you're not going to have clean linen in your hotel. It's all dependent upon all that stuff. And um, I, I, I could keep, we, could, we could keep going on this for a long, long time and breaking all of this stuff down. So this expanding system that is involved in even the, even the, the smallest thing and, and a lot of those things, although you may, not have, you may not have to have a hotel or a dinner or some arrangement like that, some of this stuff is all in place if you just get in your car and go from here to Fort Wayne. So all of that expanding system that encompasses all of that is called an economy or an administration or a dispensation. And that's the word that's used there for plan. Plan is a poor use, is a poor translation. Now I'm reading of the I'm reading from the ESV, English Standard Version. If you have the New American Standard Version, it says administration. If you have the King James Version, it says dispensation. Okay. Now, I don't. I, I didn't look up. Um, I don't know what other translations you might have. Somebody have the New International Version? Anybody know what version they've got? <laughs> have anything else? How many have a Bible? Okay. Well, I'm asking you. What else? What else have you got? Anybody have anything else? Okay. Um, I've seen more than one problems with the ESV. And um, there's problems with all of them, so don't, you know, don't get all weird here and fire off half-cocked. Because all of these editorial boards have their own prejudices and as they do these translated they do these translations probably um, probably the best word might be administration the the old king james used the word dispensation and uh, you know i i looked it up in uh in the basic Definition of that Greek word that's there, it means a household or estate, especially uh, a religious economy, and then it uses a couple words that are translated to dispensation or stewardship. The word is used seven times. That Greek word is used seven times in the New Testament. Now, there may be other forms of it, but these are the ones that I found. Seven uses in the New Testament. And uh, it's never planned. It's either stewardship or dispensation. All right? Um, let me give you a couple. Uh, it says in 1 Corinthians 9.17, For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. So Paul is saying there that this this. I'm going to just use the word. This was committed to me, this dispensation. What's he talking about? He's not talking about a simple plan going from A to B. He's talking about everything that it encompasses. 
He's talking, and, 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 uh, he's talking about his attitude toward it. He's talking about the power of it. He's talking about what God does with it. He's talking about what he does with it. He's talking about the whole thing. Not just, I'm going to go here, I'm going to go to Macedonia, and I'm going to preach. That's not, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about everything that's behind it. One ten, we already read. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 2. If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given to me toward you, or in other words, for you. So once again, he uses it in this form of economy. Have you heard about this economy, this structure, this system of the grace of God? Um, uh, I'm, I'm going to quit. Most of the uses are, are that's pretty representative of most of the of most of the most of the uses of the word. So, if if you look at this, that thing that I described earlier, I know I was boring you guys to death with it, but that thing that I described earlier about everything it takes for you to go on a trip, as this big, wide, comprehensive uh, system out here that makes it work. The people that come in to man the restaurants, the people that maintain the roads by storing their cones on it during the summer, okay, all the things, all the things that go on with that, the, the the people that give send the fuel to the to the gas stations and all 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 of that that if that's a great big thing, the plan is the small end of it. And when we read this word plan, we need to see not the small thing, we need to see the big thing. Because that's what God wants us to see. That's why I'm frustrated with this. He's, he set forth in Christ as a plan, and it really should say as a dispensation of the fullness of time. Now, um, over over a period of years since, since King James was done, um, that word has kind of fallen out of use. Um, it historically probably has the most comprehensive meaning, but we don't know it. We don't know it anymore. We don't use it that way anymore. The second thing about this is that that there are certain theologians in the uh, maybe late nineteenth, twentieth century that came up with a theory of understanding scripture called dispensationalism. And I won't go into all of that. Um, I, I, I just give you the most simplistic view of it, and that is that over a period of time, as the revelation of God was revealed, as God showed himself to man and his plan of salvation, that in certain periods of time, he dealt with him a certain, uh, with, uh, according to a certain set of principles or standards that changed as time, as time moved on. Some of those are connected with covenants. Uh, some of those con- covered more than one covenant. Sometimes the covenants uh, are, are, are like ch- chained together and this time period is, is over them. And it's, again, I, I can't go into all of the detail of it. I'll just give you the most simplistic thing. The area that we're probably most familiar with is, is law and grace. And under law, you, you brought a sacrifice to the temple. You brought it in faith, believing that if you, faith is always part of this. You never approach God differently in any, in any of these. So you, you, brought your, you brought your sacrifice in faith, but you brought your sacrifice. You paid for it. It was yours. You gave it. And we, we know that. We've looked at all those studies. We, you gave the very best. You couldn't give one that was flawed or broken or anything like that. We know that, don't we? Because that all pointed to the perfect sacrifice that was going to come. They didn't know all that. They just knew they were supposed to take their sacrifice and bring it before God. And it was, and if they did it in faith, their sins were forgiven. They, and on one day of the year, they had this great special time where all of, uh, supposedly through the priests, all of the sins of the nation were forgiven or covered on the Day of Atonement. Coming up here at the end of, the, I believe it's the end of this month in the Jewish calendar. 
And it was, and it was heavy on what man did. Jesus comes and he introduces something new that the apostles then explain in detail. And they, he talks about, they talk about grace. And that Jesus Christ is a sacrifice. Which of us, which of us took Jesus to the cross? Did any of us? Did not the Father compel him to go? Did not he himself take himself there? Was it not God, the Son, who sacrificed himself? What part did we have to do in that? The only thing that we supplied it in all that was the need for a Savior. God did it all. So in the, the Old Testament picture of us, I said this was going to be a brief thing, didn't I? <laughs> the Old Testament picture of us bringing that, sac- that perfect sacrifice, that perfect lamb, and bringing it, and, and on Passover sacrificing that thing, was just a picture. We don't, and, and if, we couldn't afford, if we couldn't afford a lamb or our family was too small, we got with other people. So again, there's all things, but it was heavy upon what we did. Can't go into all the details. It was heavy, but what, but in grace, it's not. It's on what Jesus did. How many are with me here so far? How many are not? Okay. Well, Jesus came at the cusp of these two times. And Jesus introduced us. Last week, we had communion. And Jesus said, this is the new covenant, what? In my blood. Correct? All right, I, I, okay. I'm, I've either lost everybody or I've talked too long already or what, something. So I, got, I, need some, I need some feedback. Jesus, didn't he say that? This is a new testament in my blood. So the old's gone. So we got a new the new is built upon the old, and all that, all that. But it, it, Jesus came in that cusp. So as these guys looked at all this stuff, they said, "Well, Jesus said some strange things. I don't understand it." Jesus said something, and we talked about it several weeks ago. Jesus said something like, "You will be forgiven if what? If you, if you forgive. Thank you, someone out there. All right, you'll be forgiven if you forgive. Is that grace?" Someone said yes. It is grace? No, it's not. It's works. It's based upon what we do. In other words, God will forgive me if I do something. That's not grace. That's, there is no part of my salvation that I'm contributing except agreeing with God that I need it. And that only comes through Him. He reveals that to me. That's grace. I can guarantee you from Scripture, because we are fallen people, that if any part of salvation depended upon us, no one would ever achieve it. I can also guarantee you from Scripture that if there was anything that we needed to add, that means that the sacrifice of Christ was lacking in that part. And it is not. So why would Jesus say such a thing? Because he was pointing out to us that we are sinners. And that was pointing back to that law that condemned all men that the Apostle Paul talked about. Now I'm getting too much in detail on that. I I mean, it didn't get into all that detail. But there are Bible scholars and the editors of the ESV who disagree wholeheartedly with dispensationalism. And so they decided not to use the word. Even though in that particular instance, the word didn't have anything to do with this theory that came up for explaining things. Say, well, how do we know all of this? Well, the only way to know it is to actually study. So dispensationalism really has nothing to do with my point today. My point is is that the word plan is a poor translation because it is much more than a plan. It's 
bigger. It encompasses everything that in some little way touches upon it. And as we read through this and you read through what the Apostle Paul talked about, he, he, there's so many, you know, he says at one point, he says, I plant, someone else waters. But who gives the increase? God gives the increase. So there's, there's that whole thing, all to, or, or big chunks of it, not just, not just this plan, it's just parts of the, getting to the plan. It's much more. It's not just going from point A to point B, it's everything needed to, to get there. It's, it's all, the, all the infrastructure that's needed, all of the moving parts, all working together at the same time in order to make this thing happen. We, we try to comprehend God and we get ourselves in, a, in, a, in an intellectual pickle because we, once again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to toss this thing out here. We've talked about it a couple of times. We believe things in our head, but we don't believe them enough to practice them. We believe what Jesus said, that not a sparrow falls from the sky, but the Father doesn't know it, and that he has the hairs of our head numbered. We, we, believe, we, we believe intellectually that God is involved in the, the um, intricate details of our life and wants us to glorify him in those details and wants to work in those details so that we will glorify him. We believe that, but we don't often practice it because at the same time, he's doing that with everybody. He's doing that with everybody here. He's doing that with everybody over there, wherever over there is. He's doing that with people right now on the opposite side of the world who aren't awake. And so we try to wrap our heads around that and we can't wrap our heads around it and so we kind of give it a shrug of indifference and we say, well, I'm just going to go on with my life. And, and if we're not careful, we'll live our lives as, we can confess Christ and live our lives as practical atheists. And what the Apostle Paul in this great big one long run-on sentence here is trying to get us to see that, this, this, that God is revealing his will to us. And it says that according to his purpose. And, and that this, this plan that he has is more than just going from point A to B. That it's, it's everything that's behind that. That the ultimate aim, ultimate aim is to unite all things in him it, things in heaven and things on earth. That's what it says at the end of verse 10. That that's what God is working for. And, and we, we struggle along in our daily lives. And, and again, we, we have trouble dealing with all of it. We're here, at the, we're here at the plan part. We're going from point A to B. We want to get to work today. We want to get home to work today. Uh, get home from work. We want, to, we, we want to take care of the need that we have. Or I've got to mow the grass later on. Or someone, one of the kids needs braces. And we're dealing with all these little plans. And we, and, and we get kind of all bogged down to that. But the ultimate end is that, that he's going to glorify the Lord with all these things. And we struggle along and we have doubt. And we doubt ourselves as we should without Christ. And we, we doubt our path. How did I get here? You know, we have trials. Things that happen on the outside that affect us, things that happen on the inside that affect us. We begin to, again, I already mentioned this, we begin to doubt ourselves. Second Corinthians chapter 7, I can't read all of it today, I'm already out of time. Paul talks about this. He said, even when we got to Macedonia, there were fightings without. Listen to this. Fears within. And our flesh had no rest. Now, if, if, if uh, I, I've often referred to that verse because it, it deals with outer things, it deals with inner things. Paul had enemies oppressing him. Paul had doubts about what was going on. And Paul was tired. And in the process of doing all that now, I, I didn't take time to read it. I Second Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. I didn't go and read it. But he goes on, he gives thanks to God. But thanks be to God. And he, and he tells why. Because God brought the solution to him. We, we live down here, as, as, and the phrase I used last week, we're kicking around out here in the dust. God will not fail us. 
Paul says in, in 2 Timothy verses 11 and 12, he says, I know whom I have believed, and I believe that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him against the day, the day of judgment. Paul, this same Paul who wrote this, later wrote to Timothy and wrote, and wrote to Timothy about how certain he was that God was going to bring it to pass. If we trust him, and the context of 2 Timothy uh, that I read there is suffering. It, he uses a word. It take time to read it all, but it's, it, that, that was the context of it. The difficulty and suffering. And again, we, we, this thing hits us and we get blindsided. Anybody who gets a, a pain realizes the pain intrudes upon your life. The difficulty intrudes upon your life. And whether it's a physical pain, well, I can't use this because it hurts, and all of a sudden you realize how much you use this. Or whether it's an emotional pain, and, and, and you, you try to, you, uh, or some inner thing here, and I, I've got to be general, have a generalization with this, because that's the best way it works, I think. You've you got this inner thing that just, you, you're trying to function and trying to do stuff, but it just keeps popping back in. It just keeps coming back. And you wrestle with it and you struggle with it. And maybe it intrudes in your sleep and you wake up and you're dealing with it. And, you're, and we're dealing with all these things. And yes, we have to deal with them. The Apostle Paul had to deal with them. But every time Paul talked about his trials and his difficulties, and I don't have time today to go down through them. He says in 1 Corinthians, I think it's 1 Corinthians, we were pressed out of measure so that we despaired even of life. What does that mean? We were under so much pressure we thought we were going to die. But thanks be to God. And it's not just the Apostle Paul. You read in the Psalms. And you read the same thing. The psalmist begins with his trouble and his, I'll use the word complaint, that may be too strong, but his trouble and he's crying out to God. And, and by the end, as he, as he prays through this thing, he comes to this place where he's given God glory because he knows how big God is. That's what this word plan is supposed to show us, how big God is. It's not just us getting from point A to B. It's everything. It's the refineries. It's the highways. It's the government that built the highways. It's the machines that were there. It's the people who built the machines. It's the whole thing all together. God's in control of all of that. So we, we, we have all of these hassles and we're trying to deal with them. Folks, just trust him and stay obedient. Ephesians chapter 2, I won't go there, but it, it, it says that we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. Is God going to fail? Is it too hot in here? Yeah, okay. All right, well, that's our excuse. (laughs) God's not going to fail. I'll close here. I know I've gone long here. I appreciate your your faithfulness in this. Verse 11. Let me just talk about this, get into at least one of these. In Him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. Now, I don't don't want to be redundant. I'm going to read a couple passages here. Um, I don't be redundant because I already talked about some of the great things that, that God's already done. We've talked about that in the past. A couple of weeks, so I don't want to read it again, but I, I thought I, I'd read this paragraph because I think this is uh, uh, pretty succinct. It says, Our every conceivable need is met by God's gracious provision in accordance with His divine promises. We are promised peace, love, grace, wisdom, eternal life, joy, Victory, strength, guidance, power, mercy, forgiveness, righteousness, truth, fellowship with God, spiritual discernment, heaven, eternal riches, glory, those and every other good thing that comes from God. Paul says the world of life or death or things present or things to come 
All things belong to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. Because we have been made joint heirs with Jesus, we are guaranteed possession of everything he possesses. That's our inheritance. We're going to have difficulties and there's going to be strife and there's going to be things that get us down that should be temporary and the more we know about the Lord, the more temporary that should be. Let me read one more thing to you. This is, uh, I'm reading from the same book. This is, this is a quote from a fellow by the name of Hendrickson. Now listen to this. Neither fate nor human death or human merit determines our destiny. Short sentence, I messed it up a bunch. <laughs> Let me read it again. Neither fate nor human merit determines our destiny. The benevolent purpose that we should be holy and faultless, verse 4, sons of God, verse 5, destined to glorify Him forever, verse 6, is fixed being part of a larger universe-embracing plan. Not only did God make this plan that includes absolutely all things that ever take place in heaven, on earth, and in hell, past, present, and even future, pertaining to both believers and unbelievers, to angels and devils, to the physical as well as spiritual energies and units of existence, both large and small, he also wholly carries it out. God is doing it. We look, at, once again, I look back to the thing plan. The plan is something that we may do tomorrow. This is something that God is doing right now. This whole big system, that plan, that dispensation, that economy, that stewardship, that whole thing is happening right now. And it's happening all around us and it's happening through us and in us and to us if we let it. His providence in time is as comprehensive as his decree from eternity. Now that sentence is something I haven't even dealt with. We see a plan, here's what I'm going to do tomorrow. Guess what? There is no tomorrow with God, is there? Because God sits outside of time. And he sees tomorrow as if it's today and, and yesterday as if it's the day after tomorrow. It's all the same to God. You can... You know, you may be facing something right now that I have, uh, I have no idea what it is. That's okay. Um, I'm not asking to know. That's not the purpose of it. You may, be, you may be dealing with something that keeps you awake or that disrupts you physically or, or internally. Um, that, that, that may very well be. The Apostle Paul did. He did those things too. But he didn't do it very long because he'd get a glimpse of this great big God and his great big plan and how God wasn't limited to time and space. And how God was there forever and ever. That Jesus Christ sacrifices once for all, past, present, and future. Jesus Christ died for people who have yet to be born. So when, when, when I began, I want to end this as I began. When I began, I said, you know, is, is God going to fail? Can God's purpose fail? No. Do we really believe it? I, I want to read you a little quote here from Ironside. I read earlier from MacArthur and, and from Hendrickson. I want to read you from Ironside. Well, I'll close with this. The revelation that God has given should sh- so grip our souls and exercise our consciousness that it will lead us to behave as a people who are truly strangers and pilgrims down here, looking for that glorious era which Christ will bring in him when he returns. 
me read it again. The revelation that God has given should so grip our souls and exercise our consciousness that it will lead us to behave as people who are truly strangers and pilgrims down here. Uh, I can't get ahead of myself, but that's we're getting closer to it, so I'll sneak ahead. That's why Paul says in verse 15, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love, I do not cease to give thanks, remembering you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe Comma, I don't have time to read all of it. I know we've read it before. Heavenly Father, we um, I pray like Paul prays that you'll cause our hearts and our minds our eyes, our inner eyes to see things we've not seen before. That our understanding would be somehow touched by your spirit so that we would see how vast you are. We have trouble, Lord, in this life making things happen. But you in your power, in your might, have guaranteed to us that your purpose would be fulfilled through us and in us for your glory and for the sake of your Son. Lift our eyes past the things of this earth to those things that are out there that maybe are unfathomable to us. Fill our hearts with a desire to know you more and love you more, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.